Welcome to the latest episode of Running the Race podcast, a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To find out more about First Baptist Church of Gonzales or for more episodes, be sure to visit fbcg.net slash rtr. Our speakers today are Jared Lamberth, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church Gonzales, and our Minister to Students, Alex Ray. In this episode, Alex and I talk about the field of Christian apologetics. First, we discuss what apologetics means, and then we talk about why apologetics is needed in our culture. Finally, we talk about how to use apologetics in our day-to-day evangelistic encounters. I'm Jared Lamberth, and I'm here with Alex Ray, and this is a little different today to be on this side of the microphone for uh, the main content of the podcast, Uh, but we're going to be talking about uh, apologetics, and so why don't we begin, Alex, just with a uh, a helpful definition of the terms for uh, maybe someone who hasn't really thought about this a lot before. Yeah, so apologetics in the way that we're uh, looking at it today, and biblical apologetics, and what that is, uh, ultimately, that um, you're giving the practice, it's a practice of giving a defense for what you believe, that you you have a position that you hold, and apologetics is the practice of being able to defend that belief for any number of reasons. So just to give a, uh, an example of that, let's imagine you and I are talking about football, which we are... I want to do. And uh, we talked about which football team is best. Uh, we would need to be able to give reason for it. If, if all we said, well, is my football team the best? And, and, and I said, well, my football team the best. And you said, well, my football team the best. And the conversation never went past that. It w- wouldn't be a very long conversation. But if I gave reason for why I said my football team is the best, which would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I would say things like uh, they have Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, they have a great set of receivers. Uh, they have a great defense. Uh, they have a solid coaching staff led by Bruce Arians. Uh, they have a really good up-and-coming offensive coordinator by a guy named Byron Leftwich. He's a fantastic play caller. They have a great defense coordinator and a guy named Todd Bold who was a better defensive coordinator than he was a head coach because he used to be the head coach for the New York Jets and he failed uh, pretty miserably in that but these are all reasons why for me the Buccaneers are the best uh, football team or better than the Saints anyways and so um, when we had that discussion uh, I, I have a belief which is about this football team and I'm giving you reasons as to why I believe that thing right and then I tell you all the reasons why you're wrong exactly right. okay yeah. I got you well, that's good. That's that's really helpful. So we we have an understanding that this is this is sort of the logical background of why we hold certain beliefs. So, uh, as a Christian, though, and as we talk about Christian apologetics, what what's the biblical justification for for this? Is this for every believer, or is this something that's sort of uh, uh, academia or intellectualism, or or how does that? Uh, really work out for us? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I think uh, really the, the main go-to verse for biblical apologetics is, is 1 Peter 3.15, uh, which says, uh, in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. Uh, I love this last part. It says, yeah, do it with gentleness and respect. It's, don't be a jerk. Be, be ready to give an answer for why you believe what you believe. Uh, but don't be a jerk about it. And then we also see in Second Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty four through twenty five, talks about how the Lord's servant uh, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to any to everyone. Excuse me, uh, able to teach, uh, and then talks talks about correcting his opponent with gentleness. And so, there, and there's some other verses as well that we could point to. But uh, but when it talks about loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, I would say that part of loving God with our mind is knowing why we believe what we believe, being able yeah. to, to articulate 
why it is that we're a Christian and not a Mormon. You know, why do we believe this and not that? Why not be an atheist? Why not be a Buddhist? Why, what reason do we have for being a Christian? And I think that's all part of uh, this biblical justification. For if, if we're going to love God with our minds, as, as Scripture calls us to very clearly, then we need to be able to, to defend that or be able to give a reason for why that is. So a lot of people have this idea that apologetics is something that's for someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, they have this idea or this vision of uh, Ravi Zacharias debating the the Muslim imam or something like this, and it's right. it's something that that they don't feel they have the skill set for. They don't see how it's very applicable to their walk or their interaction with other people, um, and, and maybe even they're a little fearful of it because it seems so much like uh, argument. And we've we've certainly looked at the word here. We're talking about giving a defense, and you've mentioned you know you can't be a jerk when you're doing this, right? Um, but but I think for a lot of people, it, that's where this tends to go. It we have this idea that somehow by talking or engaging at this level it's going to be an argument in the negative sense of the word. Sure. We're going to have a fight with someone over Christianity. And, of course, we know that's not usually very fruitful or productive or, or helpful. Right, and that's usually what ends up on Facebook or uh, any kind of social media. Social sure. media is usually not the best place to have a in-depth conversation because so much can be misconstrued and misinterpreted uh, online because you're not seeing the person face-to-face. And so when you're having these discussions, I think it, the best place to do it is to do it in person and where you can actually uh, uh, have a um, person-to-person conversation. And so, uh, yeah, not not to be a jerk about it. And and, and and again, Scripture is clear that we're all called to do it. We're, we're not all going to have uh, necessarily these major platforms, uh, maybe like Robbie did, right. uh, but we're all called. As we're, as we're walking the way, as we're doing life as Christians, we're all called to be able to give an answer for the hope that's within us. And that and that might that might take place at a pastor, that might take place at a plant worker, that might take place in a grocery store, that might take place in any number of areas where uh, when we have a conversation, an opportunity to share our faith, we need to be able to do that and be able to articulate it well. And so we, 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 when we discuss um, what uh, apologetics is, uh, the next question that comes to my mind is why? And we kind of already a little bit, uh, kind of touched on this with the biblical justification for it. Um, but I, if, we, if we maybe take that another step further, uh, I would also add to that, you know, if we're going to be effective witnesses in the world around us, then we need to be able to clearly articulate not just what we believe, but why as well. And, and I think the why is important for at least um, two reasons. And the, one, the first one, uh, perhaps, is that if when it comes to other people, when you're dialoguing with other people, and if they ask you, let's, let's, let's say you're talking to a non-Christian, and they say, hey, Jared, why are you a Christian? And if you can't give a reason for that... Then why then why would they take you seriously? Right, um, and so that that's one side of it. I think I then and then when it comes to our own lives, uh, having a why well, it's beneficial for a number of reasons. One that immediately comes to mind is that when we're suffering, when we're going through a hard time, that that when we go through these hard times, our emotions will pull us left and right. That's what emotions do, uh, our feelings do, but but being able to go back to, okay, well, this is what the facts are, and that's where apologetic comes into play, where my emotions are telling me one thing, but the facts of the matter are this. The scripture says this, the evidence says this, uh, logic tells me this, so on and so forth, and it's able to kind of recenter me uh, a little bit, and, and it kind of maybe clears the waters um, as well. And so I think that's really important when, it, when we discuss um, 
uh, why. And I also think as well, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, is that when it, when it comes to apologetics in today's world, uh, I, and at least for me, I think for you as well, that apologetics and evangelism often go sure. hand to hand. And I know that um, it's very rare for me, whenever I'm having a gospel-centered conversation with somebody, it's very rare that some semblance of apologetic doesn't come up. Like it, it's a rarity for that to happen. Like it, it might just peak its head a little bit. It may not. Uh, it may not be a, a huge talking point, but it's going to be touched on at least a little bit. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that there's a, a, a really um, sort of a blurry line between these two types of conversations that we have, making an appeal to someone, and certainly that's a that's a key part of our evangelism is is making an appeal, but. People want to know what the reasons behind these things are, mm-hmm. and so um, I, I think it is a it is a blurry line. And of course, when we're, when we're talking about apologetics, we understand there's a sovereignty component here. There are things that are going to have to happen in the human heart that only God can do. Right. We understand that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not approaching apologetics with the idea that we're going to argue someone into the kingdom. But I won that. So now this person right. uh, loves Jesus and will follow them for their, follow him for the rest of their life. Um, but uh, on the flip side, it's more of a, um, an attempt to remove intellectual stumbling blocks. So I have these reasons. Uh, if I'm a non-believer, I have these reasons that I have not yet, considered Christianity or I've considered it, but I have these hangups that are really holding me back uh, from being able to, to accept this or being able to, uh, to continue uh, on in a journey uh, toward this or exploring this. And so uh, apologetics is an attempt by the believer to remove some of those stumbling blocks, to present Christianity as something that's logical, as something that makes sense. And, um, and I know we're going to transition a little bit here and talk about the, the cultural shift, and um, I, I think that's a big part of this, is because we, we started, or we in previous um, uh, decades, we had uh, folks who were familiar with the Bible, right. even if it wasn't something they believed. They were familiar with uh, the stories of Scripture, the text of Scripture. Uh, it was respectable to know the the Scripture. Um, they certainly didn't see Christianity as hostile. Sure. Uh, maybe, maybe there were pockets of that. Um, but in recent decades, in recent years, certainly, uh, there has been a transition to where people really do see uh, someone who's... Um, uh, someone who's a, a Christian and bold enough to share their faith. Well, this this could be a problem for me, right? Um, and and they're prepared to give a defense, sure. And so we certainly need to be able to engage at that level. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And and so when we think about just how how the change, um, what, what the change has been over the past number of years, um, I, I think you're right. They it used to be taken for granted that um, people went to church at least on Sundays. Uh, maybe not twice on Sunday, but at least once on Sundays, and uh, and you maybe had a Bible in your home as, as well. Now, whether they actually paid attention in church or whether they actually read their Bible is another conversation entirely. But but there but there is still this this idea um, or this presumption, if you will, that um, what, what what you've already discussed that that Christianity was a at least a tenable position, uh, if not expected in some circle, depending on where you were, especially in America. Uh, but when you th- when you think about maybe how the language has shifted now, I mean, you think about the way we use words in church, and this is something I've discussed with our with our youth from time to time. Um, 
if you were to take some of the stuff that we say in church, they, you know, they call it uh, Christianese, yeah, um, mm-hmm. like saved. Well, saved from what? Right. You know, the, con- the context is everything there. But uh, sin. What does sin mean? What is what does the word fellowship mean? What does sanctification mean? What does conversion mean? What does the gospel mean? I mean, these are all very churchy words that I think. Um, in our day and age and in our evangelistic encounters today that we have to kind of do some setting the stage. We have to explain what we mean. We have to try to find some common ground and then build a bridge uh, from there. And so we have to use language that people are going to understand. And this is something I've I've tried to think a little bit about and try to um, uh, make a concerted effort to do because there's a difference in, not, not that I'm perfect, out of by any means, but there, there's a difference in changing the message and changing the method. And so, like Galatians two, Paul talks about how the, that there is a different, there is such a thing as a different gospel. That's a right. changing of the message. But uh, so, the, so the message should never change, but the method in which in which we do it and the way in which we do it might. And so, um, for example, my I have a nephew who's four years old. Uh, his father, my brother-in-law, is about my age. The way I'm going to talk to my nephew is much different than the way I talk to his father uh, because he is four years old. He's not in his early 30s. And so I'm going to communicate with him and I'm going to talk to him, I'm going to relate to him in a little bit of a different way than I would with a grown man. And what I think is interesting here is that Jesus does this all the time in the Gospels. Mm. Um, imagine, uh, 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 you know, in the parable of the Good Samaritan in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, I want you to imagine if Jesus told the told the story in the in Scripture this way. Let's imagine he says that the Good Samaritan saw the man who who was beaten up. Let's say that Luke chapter ten said uh, the Good Samaritan saw the man beaten up and he picked him up in a Tesla and drove him to the nearest Hilton. <laughs> I mean that that makes no sense because that that's not they didn't have a Tesla in that context they didn't they didn't have a Hilton in that context right they had animals and ends and so the, uh, Jesus is meeting people where they are that he's operating within this within a particular time frame partic- particular context and Jesus is using the language of the people that he's around and so I think we we need to be doing that as well we need to find common ground we'll talk more about that and how we can do that in just a moment but we need to. Um, use the language that people are going to understand. We see that all throughout Scripture. Jesus does it, Paul does it uh, as well in Acts chapter 17 uh, at Mars Hill, where he quotes pagan poetry. That he meets, he knows that people are going to understand what he's quoting here, and so he, being in tune with the culture, quotes that to try to build uh, a bridge. And What's interesting, uh, Jared, you mentioned that uh, there, there's been a shift in, in our culture, and, I, and, I, and I, th- I think you're right. I think there has been. But what's interesting is that even though there has been a shift, uh, I think people are still asking questions. And not only are they asking questions, they're, they're still looking for answers. And one of the reasons for that is that there's a, a really there's a really popular website called gotquestions.org. I don't know if you've ever yeah, been on that one. but sure have. Um, it's been up for almost 20 years. It started in 2001. Which is pretty incredible. And in 2002, a year later, they started doing a question of the week. And so since then, last time I checked, uh, they have about 270,000 subscribers that get this question of the week on their mailing list. And they have about 12 million monthly visitors to their website. And so people are asking questions. Not only that, the articles have been translated into 166 languages. 
I mean, that is impressive. Yeah, it's a worldwide audience for sure. Absolutely. And yeah. so people are certainly asking questions and people are certainly uh, looking for answers. And so, yes, there has been a cultural shift, uh, but but I, I do think there's, there's certainly a, um, a glimmer of hope. Maybe I don't mean it to sound Sure, I, mean to I think so it's dark, reassuring but. to us as believers as we think about you know, because I, I can remember um, walking through uh, many years ago, kind of a um, uh, an inner city uh, location where we were we were ministering and and, and doing some work in in a uh, apartment complex, and uh, and there were some some young guys there, and they were talking to me, and uh, and when they found out who I was, when they found out that I was a pastor, mm-hmm. they um, they immediately changed uh, their behavior. They, it was almost like you got the sense that like. If they went home to their mom and you know and one of them said you know hey he he said this in front of the preacher you know like sure. that, it was a it was a um there was a respect or a a recognition of that and um and that's one of those things that I've kind of thought about in in many years since that that doesn't seem to mean as much to to anyone I'm not specifically meaning the position of pastor or uh, honor being shown uh, but as much as the mindset of culture shifting away from things where uh, just a few decades ago we would be uh, we would be very careful about uh, showing honor and deference and uh, but also just uh, understanding what that meant I think a lot of a lot of folks today wouldn't even know what a pastor did they uh, they wouldn't even know what that entailed and sure. so that that unfamiliarity with Christianity um, can be so discouraging sometimes. Uh, to us, and so it's good, I think, um, for us to remember what you're saying. That people, even if there's a cultural shift, and even if um, there's less recognition and less familiarity with uh, the things that we know and love as the as the things of God, the Word of God, the problems are still the same. Sure. People are still the same. The questions are still out there, and we still have the answers. And that's really what this is all about: is being ready to give them. Right. Yeah, I think you're right, and so that and that leads really very well to to this last part that we want to talk about today, which is the how. You know, how do we do this? If there if there's this need uh, for apologetics, and if there's this um, uh, biblical mandate to do that, then the question is, how should we do it? And uh, there, there's uh, a number of different um, uh, quote unquote methods. I, I kind of hesitate to use that word because it sounds a little bit too. Uh, cooked up. I don't, I don't know how else to put that, but it sure. just sounds academic. awkward, academic yeah. perhaps. And yeah. And so there's a couple of different uh, ways for us to engage in apologetics. I uh, should kind of highlight a, a few for our time uh, together uh, today. Uh, there's three that I, that I wanted to mention that I kind of gravitate to. And, and I, and I, um, I go back and forth depending on the conversation that I'm having. And uh, these certain, again, these certainly aren't the only three, but uh, the first one that's really popular is one called presuppositional. And it comes from the word to, to, to pre- presuppose something, that you're, you're bringing something to the table, to the conversation beforehand. And so when it comes to presuppositional apologetics, it's, it's to presuppose a Christian worldview already going into the conversation with whoever it is that you're talking to, and then you're reasoning outward from that foundation. And so this is to acknowledge that we all have presupposition, whether you're religious or not. Uh, we all have this baggage that we're bringing to the intellectual table. And so for the presuppositional list, that they're, say, they're, they're basically saying that unless you presuppose Christianity, then you can't make sense of uh, really anything in the world, whether it's morally, whether it's logically, scientifically, because cr- the Christian worldview and only the Christian worldview can um, can supply that. 
And okay. so, and so that's a really helpful definition for me. That, that was from uh, Doug Grothuis, who's who wrote a great book called Christian Apologetics. It's quite the doorstopper. Uh, he'd over at uh, <laughs> Denver Seminary, but um, that that's one uh, one definition for it. Uh, and, and, and an example of this uh, would be uh, ethics, like the the discussion of ethics, the, the discussion of free will. Um, uh, an easy one as well: the existence of miracles. Just just to, to, to talk about that very quickly. Uh, if if you're talking with someone who doesn't believe in any form of any kind of supernatural world, um, then he's going to deny the existence of miracles. And so already coming into that discussion, if you're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, for example, well, that's a miracle. And so if you're talking with someone who presupposes that miracles don't exist or don't happen at all and can't happen, then then your conversation about the resurrection uh, might not be as smooth as you want it to be or you hope it to be because he'd automatically, at the outset, rejecting what you're claiming. Right. And so um, now, of course, the, the Christian, by contrast, very much does believe in the miraculous because we believe in a God that can do miracles. And, and so that that's the first one, the presuppositionalist one. Another one is called the evidential. And uh, come, again, see the common word here, this evidence, uh, that we're using formal arguments and, and uh, again, not in the negative way that you mentioned earlier, which is just, you know, we should kind of verbally punching each other. We were having a discussion. It's, <laughs> right. not, it's not angry. It's not hostile. It's just, it's just talking to each other. But it's using formal argument to put forward a case to support one's idea. And so a great example of this would be um, the scholar uh, Gary Habermas, who's um, really one of the, the most significant scholars on the work of the resurrection of Jesus. That What, what he did is he, uh, and, and all of his work is really focused on this, he, he, he put together what he called the minimal facts argument for the resurrection of Christ. And so he, he took, uh, I think now his list is over a couple thousand, uh, wow. but he's taken all the different sources, uh, again, now in a couple thousand, all the different sources from all across the spectrum, uh, uh, conservative, liberal, Christian, atheist, whatever kind of spectrum you want to think about, and he, he compiled all these sources. He said, okay, what do they all have in common when it comes to the resurrection of Christ? And he's taken all those. He condensed all their commonalities into this short list called the minimal facts argument. So he's looking at the evidence. He's saying, hey, here is the evidence for why we should believe uh, the, in the resurrection of Christ. And he said, this this is my list. And so that, that's one way to do it. Uh, one that I, I tend to gravitate toward, uh, uh, we can just call it the storytelling one. Uh, I personally gravitate toward this one, I think, uh, more often than not, is that um, in today's world, especially, we're all, we, we like stories. Uh, we're all, we all live stories. We all tell stories, whether we realize it or not. And I would say um, that... It, in order to have a meaningful life, we have to have answers to questions that we're asking that make up our story. And so these questions are like, who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What's wrong with the world? What's the solution to what's wrong with the world? Is there a solution even to begin with? So on and so forth. And so the answers that we have to these questions make up our worldview. And the worldview kind of compare classes. Like you don't realize that you see through them, but you are. Um, that these, your worldview is the lens by which you view the rest of the world in the way you interpret the things around you. And so this, this method, this idea of storytelling, focuses on telling one story, comparing it to another, and seeing how they line up. And so um, just to give you a quick example, um, uh, if, if I could just take two stark contrasts uh, um, 
to competing stories. Let's let, let compete or compare rather atheism to Christianity. So here is atheism story, if you will. Um, William Provine, who's a very famous atheist who died just a couple years ago, he said this. He said, "Let me sum." This is, I'm quoting from him. Let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear, and these are basically Darwin's views. There are no gods, no purposes, and no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I am absolutely certain that I am going to be dead. That's the end of me. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life, and no free will for humans either. Wow. That's quite a story. That's a... Depressing story. Very, very depressing story. And, and there's a lot to talk about there. There's a lot to unpack there and have a discussion about. Now, I want you to compare that story with the Christian story. What's the Christian story? Well, the Christian story is that you, you were created by a God who loves you that, you, that you're made in the image of God, that God designed you, God knits you together in your mother's womb, that, that yes, we have fallen short, that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which is the problem. Uh, the solution is beautiful in that it's not our solution. That, that God's the one that came up with the solution. Right. And the Bible tells us that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. That, that That's quite a different story. And so I like the storytelling aspect because I think it's a really interesting, uh, intriguing way to compare worldviews and also the implications of those worldviews. And so as we think about different methods, uh, I, I think that it's also important to know that we're going to be interacting with the culture around us. And so how, how, do, you, how do you find ways to interact with, with others around you? What, what, what are some ways that have worked well for you? Or what well, you know, just, just hearing you give the explanation of the, of the different methods, I think, you know, and, and for, our, for our listeners, you know, this is just a, a, a great education for me to just, just hear you explain some of those things. And I think, I think knowing or, or trying to feel out the, the person that you're, uh, that you're interacting with in sure. this way might dictate a little bit of which which method you want to try to try to take. Uh, I suppose there's some who would say, you know, well, this method is more valid than than that method. Right. Um, but um, without having to be in that much of a um, um, again to use the word maybe academic or rigid setting where you have to pick one. Um, no, for us it's pragmatic, right? It's just which which one of these is acceptable to my target audience, and mm-hmm. of course. When we think about doing evangelism, we're, we're there's a there's a continuum, right, or a, or a scale of relationship. If maybe this is my neighbor or person in my family, and so I know that um, that this person is going to respond more to story um, and and isn't really concerned. I don't have to outline all the different evidences and all those types of things, right? Um, or vice versa, where I I, I know this person is going to just say. Well, I don't care if your story sounds better. I want to know if it's actually true. I sure. want to know what the what the evidence is behind it. So I think that's uh, just really really fascinating to hear you outline those in that way. So for for me, um, I think that it's really good for us to try to to engage with things that are outside of our normal circles, and that that can really um, bring us to a point of being ready to give the defense. And mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about this uh, the other day. I walked into your office, and we were we were talking about something completely different, and I noticed a couple of the books on your bookshelf that are things that, that we wouldn't ordinarily just recommend as good 
good reading for other Christians to read. I'm thinking of things, you know, I don't know, the Da Vinci Code, the Shack, just things that we wouldn't recommend. No, this is good, solid theological. But you've read those things because you want to be ready to have a dialogue. You you are you understand that uh, people in the culture are interacting with these things, and that then builds a bridge for you um, to in, to enter into conversation about those things and to talk. Well, let's talk about why I disagree with the approach to God that was taken by the author of of the shack. And let me give mm-hmm. you the reasons behind that. And I think that does a lot of work. That carries a lot of load in uh, building a bridge to the gospel, which of course is what we really want to get to in the end. Anyway, is building a bridge to uh, to the gospel. And so I think it's a it's a mindset thing over. A method thing. We as as believers, as good church members, it's not so much that we need to think about what our apologetic strategy, which which method we're going to use, and those kind of things. Right. As much as it is, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna engage with some things that I know are going to enable me to have conversations with people mm-hmm. in the culture, and I'm going to be able to supply some of the whys and the reasons uh, behind why I believe. Uh, these things. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right, and I think that <clears throat> there's so many different opportunities that we have in our culture around us that uh, t- where we can find some sort of talking point to the people that are that we're around and and have a go- and try to turn that into a gospel centered conversation. Like right now, we're we're in the middle of, of this, this political. Mess. Mess. We can use that word. <laughs> and so if you think about it, though, like every political view, ultimately, at its core, is a view of how things should be. And that's a really interesting idea. Why do, now, why do I think that things should be this certain way? What, what, what am I presupposing, to use that word again? What kind of baggage am I bringing to, 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 to really believe in that idea. Whether we vote for this person or this policy, whatever it is, this is the idea that if we do this, the world will be better off. And so that, again, that's tied into why we think, what do we think the world should be like? And for the Christian, we have to ask ourselves, does that line up with what Scripture says? Mm. Does this policy or this person, whatever, does it line up with what Scripture says? Because ultimately that's what our authority is. So politics, I think it's a really interesting uh, gate uh, gateway to be able to talk, have these kind of conversations. I think movies are as well. Uh, there's so many interesting sure. movies out there. A couple years ago, my, my students were uh, flabbergasted that I had never seen Star Wars. And so we, <laughs> I, I had avoided my entire life to watch, watching it. And so we, we spent the entire summer watching all of them. Uh, I, I still think episode four is probably my favorite. But uh, all those, were, uh, we watched all those. And, I, and I, we had a lot of really, really interesting talking points. Like we got to compare the impersonal force that you can't really know anything about, you can't talk about. And we got to compare that with the personal God of Scripture. And that, that led to a lot of really uh, interesting conversation. Not, not to say anything about uh, the morality as well. Like what does it mean to be on the dark side? What makes the dark side dark. Yeah. Uh, that, that's ultimately a conversation on morality and ethics. And so, uh, again, I, I, I think you're right that we don't want to get bogged down in the into the weeds on what particular method, because then we can get frozen and, and we never want to, well, then we'll be scared to do anything at all. And so what, what do you, how do you think would, uh, to kind of maybe, maybe put a bow on this, like what would be the best, the main takeaway uh, in, instead of focusing on a particular method? It's, I think it's uh, really brings us back to the scripture that we started with, which is being ready to give to give a defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, taking that as our approach uh, is let, let me let me view every uh, let me view every possible 
uh, doorway into conversation with my loved ones and neighbors and coworkers um, uh, as a tool that can get me to uh, the gospel. And then the question really becomes, what are the stumbling blocks for this person who I'm I'm, I'm loving and praying for and wanting to get them to the place where they see Jesus as who and what he is. Uh, how do I remove the stumbling blocks that are in their life by answering some of these questions for them? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Running the Race podcast. We hope you'll join us again in a couple of weeks for our next discussion. And don't forget to share the podcast with a friend you think might find it helpful. Until then, you can visit www.fbcg.net for more information about our church and ministry. And again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.